You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge Knives. Now, Outdoor Edge has a large range of fixed and replaceable blade knives and game cleaning kits. Now, imagine this. You just shot a deer in the backcountry or an elk or whatever, and it's time to break it down right? It's hot. You're a long way from the truck. So time is a factor and you got to get the meat back to the truck. So there's no waste. Your blade becomes dull. So instead of having to stop and sharpen the blade, all you do is you take your outdoor edge knife, you push a button on the handle, the blade pops out, you put a new blade back in and you're back to work. You get back to the truck, there's no wasted meat, everybody wins. Now, if you want to find out more information about Outdoor Edge and their complete line of knives and game cleaning kits, all you have to do is go to OutdoorEdge.com and when you check out or you decide you want to purchase a knife, enter the discount code NATION30 and you're going to save 30% off of your purchase. That's NATION30 and that's OutdoorEdge.com. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Thomas. Today's episode, got Micah with me. What's up? Nothing. Early morning, got a day off, and we recorded an episode with uh, Mark at Exo Mountain Gear uh, early on our day off. Yeah, this is definitely different from what we're used to. Usually, we are, I don't think we've done a podcast before 9 o'clock yet, in the evening. Like 9 o'clock in the evening. Yeah, (laughs) so they're always usually really late. So this one being 9 o'clock in the morning kind of is throwing me off a little Uh, bit. Yeah, (laughs) I'm expecting to to have to go to bed after this, and I just woke up, so... Yeah, it's cool, but uh, good episode today. Uh, we talk about some some Western styles coming back home to our cool state, and um, so just sit back and enjoy the rabbit holes we go down and all that fun stuff. Yep, it was a good time. All right, enjoy the show. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. All right, welcome to the show. Got a good one today. I've got Micah with me. What's up, buddy? What's going on, guys? And today our guest is Mark with Exo Mountain Gear. Mark, how's it going? 
Very good. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on. We we're excited to talk to you. I yeah, dude. I was uh, I was excited to find you guys' podcast. Being a Missouri boy, and you know, being somewhat aware of a fair amount of what goes on in the hunting space. I was like, man, a, a hunting, fishing, outdoors kind of Missouri centric podcast. This is awesome. Yeah, we appreciate it. So. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah. So, ha- have you been a Missouri resident your whole life, or are you a transplant? I am. Is I uh, let's see. I live right now about uh, five miles from the house I was born in. Essentially, oh, so cool. we've oh, wow. moved just a couple times. You know, as a as a family, like when I was young with kids, but it was never more than ten or fifteen miles. So I've been in uh south of st louis in the jefferson county area my whole life that's awesome that is cool yeah that's what got us excited when i when i first uh kind of met you um i'm i personally and i know you know all the guys know what xo is and we were excited so to kind of circle back around because there might be some folks in missouri that just aren't familiar but uh why don't you just start off with introduce yourself kind of tell us um you know, what it is you do with XO Mountain Gear and maybe give people a little rundown about what XO is. Um, yeah. And uh, kind of give them that introduction of the company and kind of go from there. Yeah, you bet. So XO Mountain Gear, um, we make backcountry style uh, back, uh, essentially for like mountain hunting and backcountry hunting, which you don't connect with Missouri. I'm essentially uh, the one and only remote employee of XO Mountain Gear. Uh, living in Missouri, the company's based out in Boise, Idaho, uh, in the Rockies. And so the origins of the company are uh, Lenny and Eve co-founded Exo Mountain Gear out there in Idaho, um, simply because like they were doing a ton of backcountry hunting for elk and mule deer and similar species and just didn't have a pack system that met their needs. Um, this is going back to 2012, 2013, that time frame, um, you know, they did a lot of backpacking and backpack style hunting and there wasn't a pack that met their needs for what they wanted to do. And they thought, heck, let's figure this out. Let's get in the garage with literally a pink sewing machine. And we know nothing about making packs, but we know what we want. Um, we know what we need as hunters and let's figure out how to make it. So that's how the company started. So, you know, they're based in the West, the primary, um, design, um, and marketing is still Western based in terms of hunting, you know, for elk and mule deer and antelope and really where you're in areas where you have to pack out game. You're not getting a four wheeler to it or a truck to it. And it's too long to drag it. Right. Cause you could be miles into the back country. So it's built for that. But over the years, more and more guys are using them in the Midwest or out East. And, uh, you got, man, we have so many customers who like myself are living in the Midwest, um, hunting out West. Maybe that's one, two times a year. Maybe it's, once every two or three years and so they need a pack system for that but they also want to use that same at home um whether it's for whitetail hunting or turkey hunting and just really it's when you get into a pack system like ours and realizes and realize the capabilities that it offers you honestly it changes how you can hunt like even here in missouri for example i hunt a totally different way now uh, which we can get into that, but right. yeah, Exo Mountain Gear. We just we make those pack systems, and um, you know we're a small company. We make everything in the U.S. Uh, we sell direct to consumer, so we're not in stores or things like that. Um, but it's awesome, and it's it's fun to have hunting be 
kind of part of the job. It's still a ton of work. I'm not a professional hunter or an expert hunter. Don't hunt for a living. Um, but being, you know, in the industry working for a company like that's a blast. Oh, I, I imagine. So how does somebody from Missouri actually start working at EXO? How did that come about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that question all the time. Like, what the heck? How, how did you do Missouri, that? <laughs> but you're working, yeah, you're working for this company in Idaho and blah, blah, blah. Essentially, I knew Steve um, before Exo Mountain Gear existed. So, okay. um, Steve uh, Steve Speck, he's like I mentioned, he's one of the co-founders and is the owner today. Um, he had a couple other businesses before Exo Mountain Gear in the hunting industry. And if you rewind a, a, quite a few years, I was doing a lot in the archery side of stuff. I was writing for magazines and had a blog, and then I was also um, on pro staff for like elite archery. So I was going, you know, for elite archery to ATA show and some other shows, um, you know, representing them there, that type of deal. And Steve was associated with elite archery. So we kind of met in person, you know, at ATA show and some other events and then, um, kind of collaborated on a few other things, uh, like writing projects and stuff like that. Um, and then I started helping him. My, my background essentially is, um, professionally is in IT. Um, so I was like a web applications developer for uh, a college and so kind of a tech nerd. And uh, I, w- I was helping him with one of his previous businesses um, on the tech side and the marketing side and all that a little bit. And so he, he basically told me one day before EXO launched, he's like, hey, I'm starting this pack company. It's going to be, you know, direct to consumer. So we'll be selling online. Can you help me get a website up and running and help me with this and that? And so I did that and was essentially part of EXO from the beginning and uh, just did it on the side, man. And then um, was helping him on the tech stuff. And then we launched a podcast as well, um, I think 2015, uh, like five years ago, which is crazy. Time flies. Yep. Uh, but Steve and I host the Hunt Backcountry podcast, and so we were doing that. And just over time, I was doing more and more um, with EXO and just decided to make the jump. And because most of what I do, you know, I don't, I don't get my hands dirty, like, actually building packs. Most of what I do for the company is just on the tech side, the marketing side, and all that. I can essentially, you know, have a computer and internet connection and get my job done from anywhere. So I was able to come on and work full-time for XO, but stay in Missouri. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And shameless plug here. I, I will a hundred percent agree with you that, that hunt backcountry podcast year guys, I, I listened to it. It's one of the, one of my mainstays, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good one. You guys throw out a lot of good information and I mean, it's an awesome podcast, especially this time of year. I start like gearing up for elk season. Right. And it's like, I, I start searching again for my elk stuff uh, or my Western yeah. stuff and, so, anyway, yeah, definitely, folks that are potentially listeners of ours, you should go check that out. That's pretty cool. Um, I'm definitely, you know, a fanboy of XO. Uh, I, I run one of your packs, and I, I remember when you said you definitely need something my first year going out west. And in no way am I saying anything bad about this pack, but I had this little basic, uh, I think it was a Tenzing backpack, that you would wear, you know, almost like to school, that size of a backpack, right? And I remember being mm-hmm. out west going, what the hell am I going to do if I kill something? You know, <laughs> it was one of those things where I, you know, we just went, right? And yeah, that next year I, I you know, started doing research that off season and, and um, ended up buying a, 
an XOK2 2000 with a lid at the time, which um, for our listeners might not mean a lot, but that's that's what I run uh, currently. And that that was the game changer for me because that then that next that very year I bought that we ended up packing out a a bull and I thought, man. What would I? What else? What would I have done if I still had that backpack? You would have been in a lot of pain. <laughs> that's for sure. You know, <laughs> huck a yeah. you know a quarter over one shoulder, and then you know, I mean, just I don't know what you would have done. So, uh, yeah. But what I thought was going to be cool about having you on maybe is talking about and not necessarily packs. You know, we can talk about gear in general too. You know, what's important to you when we when you go out west to hunt. And then how do we bring that stuff back home, uh, back home to yeah. Missouri to, to, you know, use those experiences and, and gear setups back here when we're hunting? It doesn't have to be whitetail. It could be turkey. Um, you know, any type of hunting you're really doing, how are you using it, using it back home? So right. um, I guess we can start with packs. Um, you know, I think that's important. We all run some form of a pack now that is able to to pack meat out so uh, like i said i'm running an exo i'm guessing you are mark <laughs> um and then <clears throat> like micah runs an alps um pack which is is a missouri-based company uh so that's nice but um so you know we all run some sort of pack now that that packs meat what's so important about that right there which you kind of hit on already but we'll got we'll start with packs and then kind of go from there yeah yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you can very well, depending on what you're doing, get away with a backpack, right? Like that Tenzing you mentioned, or quite literally a Jansport. You know, one of the um, little packs I've used a ton at, in Missouri in the tree stand is I had this little camelback from years ago that was just a little hiking pack, and it was small and light, and I would clip it to a lone wolf stand, and it would carry my water and my grunt tube and my bow hanger, and that's all I needed, so I didn't need a pack system. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it really gets into if you, especially if you want to be able to pack out meat, be that elk out West or even a whitetail here, um, or really just carry any sort of heavy loads. Like I mentioned, you know, like a lone wolf stand, I used to just use the built-in strap, strap it to my back, yep. uh, which is fine if you're going a couple hundred yards, but if you're going a mile and a half, honestly, it's a giant pain in the butt. They're great stands. They're just not comfortable to wear. So um, you know, our pack systems have a titanium frame. Um, that's what's interfacing with your body. It's a really lightweight, but it's incredibly strong. So our frame system's three pounds, but can quite literally carry triple digit loads. Um, you know, we got guys all the time packing out 60, 80, 100 plus pounds um, of meat or whatever with our pack systems. And so we, there's one frame, and then there's four interchangeable bag models. Um, so you have everything from like our 1800, which is a slick little day pack for a lot of guys, um, in the Midwest who are, um, hunting and don't need to carry, you know, a week's worth of gear all the way up to like, you know, our 6,400, which is for an expedition level sheep hunt type deal and options in between. Um, and you know, what's key to that is you got the frame in the bag, but we essentially have a load shelf in between. So you can, like I said, you can pack a tree stand with that load shelf. You can pack in a ground blind if you're doing hunting here at home. Uh, but when you get into Western hunting, you got to pack out meat. You know, that's just critical. Like you said, you, 
you knock something down out west, you're in the mountains, you're miles away from your rig, like the rubber hits the road, then <laughs> you realize a how big an elk is, for example, and then b <laughs> how the heck am I going to get this out of here? I mean, I the first time I knocked an elk down and stood over it, it was it was just overwhelming. It was like this is not a white tail. This is a big big critter. Um, you know, and I'm at almost 11,000 feet in the mountains and the truck's five miles away. Like it's, it's work. Yeah. And it's, so it's daunting. You know, a whenever. Some day is your lifeline. It's intimidating for sure. Yeah. It's, it's very daunting whenever yeah. you see that thing up and you're like, Oh geez. I mean, what the hell did I yeah. just do? But I mean, the thing I like about yeah. like having a meat, meat pack, we'll call it being able to carry you go out in public land here in Missouri or somewhere else where you're not able to, you know, get access with a four wheeler or something like that. I've, I've literally taken a whole deer and put it in my backpack. I mean, having the the capability to, you know, you know, put the meat on your back, it could, I mean, it will save you so much time and energy if you right, have the right stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah, I know you guys, you guys mentioned like talking about, you know, what gear for Western hunting, but then also how does that apply at home? Uh, and this might be skipping ahead, but like I mentioned earlier, my experience hunting out West and then understanding the capabilities, like totally changed the game for how I hunt here. So, I mean, I can, um, I can go back to my last rifle hunt here in Missouri, you know, during whitetail season, just as an example of, you know, p- part of what I love to do is just explore new places. Um, I have access to some private properties, smaller properties mainly, but man, I just, I love to get out and explore new places. And we are, most people don't realize how fortunate we are to be in the Midwest, but have, you know, a a million and a half acres of public land in the Mark Twain National Forest to have eight capital W wilderness areas. Um, I mean, it's, if you look at other Midwestern states, we're lucky in terms of public land and opportunities there. And, uh, you know, I've, I went into the Mark Twain, uh, into a new spot I had never scouted, but just an onyx had kind of pieced uh, an idea together of what I thought would be cool for a hunt. And, you know, I, I went in, uh, just the afternoon before the opener, asked up camp of guys and drove past the camp of the eyes and I'm like, oh man, you know, I know the spot, didn't know what to expect. And so I'm seeing all this and, uh, you know, it's the night before the opener and I had my plan of where I wanted to be and opening morning comes along and super early before dark, I had a mile and a half hike to get to where I wanted to get, which was a spot that, you know, all those guys hunting the four wheelers, they couldn't get to. Um, and sure enough, like sometimes plans come together. I was able to shoot a bucket like 7am that opening morning on a brand new spot I had never been to. It was just one of those deals where actually felt like I knew what I was doing as a hunter uh, in terms of picking a spot and having a plan. But, you know, then you're a mile and a half deep. That's a long way to drag a buck. So it was, again, a situation where I was able to just pack that out. What's that like? (laughs) What's that like when you feel like you you know what you're doing as a hunter? What is is that (laughs) like? Well, it's only happened a couple times, so (laughs) it's hard to put into words. Uh, And don't get me wrong. Maybe someday I'll have that feeling. It was yeah, it was a small, it was a small buck, but it was more like for me, it's more about, uh, we, we had this question even recently in our podcast about that whole, you know, meat hunter versus trophy hunter. Um, 
mindset and idea and yada. And I think, you know, that, that conversation has been had for me. I identify with both and I identify with neither. I mean, this is kind of a tangent, but I would say I'm not a meat hunter or a trophy hunter. I'm an experience hunter. Um, and what I mean by that is I hunt for the experience of hunting. So part of that to me is exploring new places. Part of that to me is just encountering animals. Uh, part of that to me is just having those experiences in the wild and then gaining experience as a hunter to learn new lessons. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was, uh, I am not an expert. I hunt like, like I said, for experience and to learn and to try new things and see new places. And it just so happened on that, on that morning, it kind of came together. Well, and I think that's, <clears throat> I know we're going off on a tangent, but let's be honest, this show is full of that. That's all we ever do. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that that's got to be why we all hunt anyways you you do it for that rush of adrenaline you know whether you kill that animal or not you know for me just like you said mark it's if i see something i feel like i had a good a good day because you yeah whether it's a a doe or a coyote walking through you you still have that level of excitement that shows up when you see that animal or something happens. If you, yeah, you know, if you're only, I mean, if I, if you could tell me like you're going to hunt 20 times this next year and you're only going to see one animal the entire time, but it's going to be a 185 inch deer. That's, that's going to be a boring year. I would much rather mm. see animals every single night and harvest a, you know, a, a decent deer than not see anything for weeks on end just to finally get that, that one sighting. You know, and so I think yeah. you're right. Most people should shoot for being that, getting those experiences more than, you know, getting the kill. Yeah. I mean, it's not, like we all said, it's not about the meat necessarily. It's not about the kill. I mean, for me, it's all, it's about the experience and the camaraderie that it brings. I, I mean, my favorite hunts have always been, I've had somebody with me in the tree stand or we've been out West together. It's all, or going up North. I got buddies that, have property up north that we go we go every year to do food plots and different things and the experiences with all that is just that's what keeps me going i mean if i wanted i i love the meat and i eat the meat and i will i'll I'll kill a doe here and there just for meat but i don't have to have it so i'm yeah it's 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 an experience thing and you know you get there are people out there that do Maybe they have to have that meat. They can't afford to go buy beef or something like that. So I, I get it from both ends. You know, I see, I understand that. But but even then, if they if they hated it, it it'd be more difficult for them to do. Right, and I, I don't still think they do. I, th- I mean, I think there's probably something deep down in every every most people's core that has that urge to go out and go hunting to get that whatever you know that experience, whatever it is. So yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I agree for sure. So we're we're deep into this rabbit hole. Let's try to <laughs> work, ra- work out of it here. Um, <laughs> that was my fault. No, no, you're cool. Uh, we literally do that uh, multiple times every episode, so you're good, man. Um, so what about, you know, going back to packs in general, what are some things that are kind of a must-have for you out west? And then we'll pivot after that. But, you know, so like for us, there's certain things out west that I, I never used back here before. Started going out west. It was important for me to use. Um, what are some things that 
are a must-have. It doesn't have to be necessarily something in your pack. It could be, you know, clothing, uh, which is important. That's one of my biggest things is probably what I've changed is is my my clothing systems. But um, kind of talk about what you use out west. It's kind of important to you, and and uh, we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we um, we've always said it on our podcast. We get a lot. We talk a lot about gear. Uh, Steve and I both do our podcasts are kind of gear junkies and are always trying new things and all that. But right. for us, it boils down to like packs and boots being the two most important things and you know you can say oh well, you're selling packs of course you're saying important i'll just leave that out of the conversation that it, it's truly critical especially for western hunting but for i mean boots and that's i mean it's it's just a make or break on your hunt like if if your feet go south um early in a five-day hunt or early in a seven-day hunt like you're just hosed man if you're trying to cover country and chase elk in the mountains and you can't walk effectively or efficiently or comfortably or you're fighting blisters like it can quite literally end a hunt um you know if you don't have footwear that works well and fits well and you know it's to be honest with you it's a giant pain in the butt because it's you know one of the most important things it's not the most important things but it's also something that you can't take my word for it i can tell you my favorite pair of boots and because people's feet are so different they might kill your feet, right? And so, um, as much as we can talk about boots and like what to look for and all that, in the end, they have to work for you and your feet. Um, and so, it really is partially trial and error. I mean, we kind of, thankfully, even if you don't live near a place, like there's a few places you can order online and try boots, at least in your house. Like, go up and down the stairs with them, do types of different types of things, and you know, have free returns or exchanges. So, it is, man. It's, it's trial and error, but it's absolutely critical, key, 100%. You might not think too much about it if you're hunting whitetails at home, but if you want to make a trek, uh, trek out west, make sure your feet are just dialed because they're your lifeline to hunting out there for sure. Um, outside of that, it really, for me, it partially depends from there on the style of hunt you do, right? So are you backpacking in and living with camp on your back? Um, are you hunting from a base camp? Are you hunting from a motel? Things like that, you know, are going to determine the logistics of your hunt and determine the gear that you need. So sure. I could say that, you know, I could say a, a sleeping spot is really important because if you're doing a seven day trip, you got to be able to sleep relatively comfortably and get good rest. So you have energy to hunt. And that's important if you're backpack hunting, but if you're hunting from a base camp and you're sleeping in the back of your truck or in a camper or something like that, then, you know, that sleeping pad point might be moot. So gear really depends on the type of your hunt. It is one of those deals where, um, you know, like say backpack style hunting, which is what we do most, um, absolutely love it, but it definitely has the biggest like initial investment in terms of gear because you do have to dial in like a sleeping pad and sleep system in terms of sleeping bag and shelter and all that to be able to, uh, you know, hike into the back country and live. Right. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, clothing's important. Um, it's one of those things where like say you're going out for a September hunt. I've been in the same area in the same, you know, week and literally had to be 85 and had to be 25. Um, I mean, in the mountains, the weather can just be wild. And so you got to be prepared, uh, for that from a clothing perspective. Um, but man, it's often quite a bit different than a lot of guys might think through here. I mean, it's, 
I've hunted late season stuff here where it's just brutally cold. And especially, you know, when you're hunting whitetail, whether you're in a blind or tree stand or whatever, like you're just, you're immobile, you're still. And so you have to really bulk up with a lot of layers and have a ton of heavier insulation just because you're not burning anything. Whereas, you know, say you're elk hunting, it, it maybe it's 25, like in the morning when you get up, but a lot of times you get up and you're hiking and you're moving, you'll find yourself not wearing nearly as many clothes really um, to stay warm just because you're more mobile. So clothing is one of the areas that's important. And it's also an area where I see guys who are new to it kind of go overboard. Um, so they pack like a, you know, like a parka style jacket, right? Like a first light sanctuary or something like that, which they love for at home when it's cold, but it's just overkill for out there. So clothing out there is just really important to have like a, just a smart streamlined system of like layers, right? So you're going to have essentially a base layer, a mid layer and an insulation layer. And then depending on the weather, maybe rain gear on top of that. But, um, I am generally a huge fan of Merino wool for clothing. Um, and that's especially true of like extended hunts out West, just because, you know, if I'm living out there for seven days and wearing synthetic <laughs> layers, I think by like, I don't even want to say day <laughs> the two, first two I think hours. by like hour two. <laughs> yeah. I think by hour two. Um, whereas Merino, I can legit, you know, wear the same base layer for six, seven days. And of course I don't smell wonderful from a body perspective, but, the clothing doesn't like have that extra layer of funk um, with Merino like it would with some other options. So yeah, I could talk about that stuff all day, but clothing's for sure an important aspect. Um, well, I and think I would say just in general, this isn't gear. Yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, it's cool. I was just going to say, um, and remember that thought, but just to stay on clothing for a minute, I think that's probably where I've noticed the biggest change. Um, once we started going out West and coming back home is in my clothing and my boots. Um, I've, I've done other things too back here at home, but I now, I used to always just wear rubber boots into the, into the woods here back home. Now, since we started going out West, there are so many different, like you said already, Mark, different boot companies out there that make good boots. So, I mean, with a huge price range, you could spend it. I would say anywhere from 80 bucks to up all the way up to probably 500 bucks yeah and so like i i personally run a loa right now but you know there i mean just our group of guys that go at west there's solomon's there's loas there's crispies um i'm probably morels morels yeah so you know there's all kinds of different boots out there but that's one main thing that's really changed with me is i now wear those boots back here at home because they make me a little Mm -hmm. more you know, rubber boots sometimes are just when you're climbing the tree. It's you know they're just kind of more of a pain. And if you're a little, if you're mobile, my feet get sore in those quicker because uh, you know you always have a little bit of sliding and that sort of stuff. And so I started wearing that stuff back home. And then it's been with the clothes too. Back before we ever went out west, it was I, I didn't care what I was wearing if it was cotton, whatever. Now I care because out out west, yeah. if, if you're draping cotton all over yourself and then running through the mountains, you're going to get miserable. And so for us, it's just like you said, it's uh, I, all of us that I can think of. We all wear some sort of Merino wool base layer that are synthetic. Yeah. And then, and then it's, it's all poly type outer layers. Uh, so quick drying right. type of stuff or, or moisture wicking. Um, and then I, I've done all that, back home now so that's totally changed me back home 
on the the clothing and the boot side, I would say. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that goes like back to what I was talking about that white tail hunt and packing in a mile and a half. You don't do that in rubber boots. Um, so again, that's like another way where I changed my gear, meaning boots, based off of Western hunting experience, and then that also affected how I hunt or can hunt here because now I can you know, cover country and, you know, it's obviously the mountains here, but like, you know, covering ground in there and then packing out, you know, a heavy pack when you're packing out a whole deer, uh, a mile and a half, you don't necessarily want to do that in rubber boots either. So that's a, that's a solid point. Yeah. Right. Hey, I got a question. Whenever you shot that buck, uh, when you were a mile back in there or whatever, did you quarter everything out and throw it in the pack or did you drag it? Uh, I threw it in the pack and packed it out. I mean, that's, um, that's one thing that's, that's a super solid point too of, you know, so many guys who grew up hunting here, you know, it's obviously common to not have to pack a deer out. You can drag it, you can get a four wheeler to it, something like that. And so, you know, you see a lot of guys who maybe will just gut a deer and then maybe they don't process their own meat. So they've never really broken down a deer. Maybe they've gutted one, but they've never broken one down in terms of either quartering it. Um, or even using like what's called the gutless method, uh, mm-hmm. which is really popular at West. That yeah. Some guys here have never probably heard of, but that's something I started doing as well here. Um, and there's a kind of a great tip that if you want to hunt out West, that I would start breaking down your deer here. Um, whether that is quartering it, just doing the gutless method. Um, but what we're saying, they're overwhelming when you get an elk down. Um, hopefully that's not the first time you have to quarter an animal or use the gutless method on an animal. So I, that was something I kind of figured out very early on when I started hunting out West or even actually before I started hunting out West, but knew I was planning on it. You know, I, that fall before my first elk hunt, I think I killed three or four deer and every one of them I used as like a, a practice, um, if you will, on breaking down deer either by quartering it or trying the gutless method. So yeah, I, when I killed that buck, I, um, quartered, it essentially had good game bags um and then just threw that up on the meat shelf and the xo pack and hiked on it were you able to get the whole thing in there yeah it's, uh, i don't say it's easy I and mean, it's not crazy heavy with a white tail buck um but it's totally doable to, to one trip it for sure yeah um you know again compared to like elk loads it felt <laughs> relatively light um it's not yeah, if you're new to packing, maybe it doesn't feel light, but it's totally doable to to get a buck out or a whitetail out in one trip for sure. That's a good point though, because when we we got that bull down a couple of years ago, it was myself, Micah, and our, our other brother-in-law, Russell. There was three of us there, so we figured it out, right? But that was the first time we have quartered something, from my recollection. If I'm thinking about that over like back here at home, I don't remember. I mean, maybe you personally, I've, I've personally done quarter deer out. Yeah. In the field. I mean, I've, I usually do my own meat processing and everything. So I've done it quite a bit, but in the field, I've never quartered one in the field. So, so that, that's what was intimidating. I yeah. Think, for it us, was like, huh, it's different when, it, cause usually like here, you know, you throw them in the back of the truck and then you lift them up and you do everything while it's hanging on hooks. So doing it whenever yeah. they're laying there on the ground, it is. I mean, it's a process. It's yeah. a totally different animal. And, you know, for us, luckily, there was three of us. We had both, all three had meat packing packs. We just we figured it out together. But that's a good point that if you have the opportunity here at home to do it on a deer, get that practice, 
right on a smaller scale yeah, yeah. well i mean you take it out there i mean it's a good because i mean you can get on some of these conservation lands and you can get back there a few miles and you can really get back in there and you definitely don't want to drag yep. that thing out. I mean, that that is that'd be a, it's terrible. That'd be hell. It'd be terrible. And you know, you can't <laughs> if you don't have access to a four wheeler or whatever. So it is. It'd be good to figure out. Hey, how do I get this thing quartered up? I can throw it on my pack, and I can get everything out on, on in one trip instead of making multiple. I mean, I've done. I did. I killed a doe. I think it was two years ago. It was either two years ago or last year. I can't remember. And I, for fun, I could have I could have drove the truck to the, to the deer, <laughs> but I was like, I'm going to get this thing out by myself on my back. So I literally loaded the thing up on my backpack and, and walked it out just so I could say I did. So I mean, it's something that you need to try. You just wanted to be. Is it Cam Haynes? Is that who that is? Yeah. Well, he, I mean, he, I'm not. Uh, okay, he did it with a bear. And the thing, I mean, a little bit bigger. Than, I mean, I don't know how big it was, but it was a pretty big bear. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm not well, quite campaign. Opportunity here in Missouri soon to do. Yeah, so. I, we hope so. That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, and this is another good point because we just talked about quartering deer here in Missouri. That's something, and I'm sure this has changed you when you started going out west, Mark is I found a good knife system, which I'm curious what you use out west. This is a good question here because uh, I will definitely be writing it down. And um, <laughs> and then game bags as well. Um, so what do you use to to cut up your, your animals out in the field? And is it the same out west as, as you're using at home? Uh, yeah, it is, especially now that, uh, especially here, like I said, from doing it in the field. Um, you know, if I get home and I'm processing meat, I do like to process my own meat. And obviously it's easier than to grab, you know, three or four blades or whatever for different tools, but getting the job done with one blade in the field is uh, totally doable. And even on big animals like elk, like you'd be, I think you have to have a, or something like that, but you really don't, um, even to, you know, get the skull off and all that stuff. Right. I, I like early on, um, had done quite a few critters out west with like Havilon knives, you know, the replaceable blade yep. um, style knives. And they're, they're nice. They're, I mean, obviously um, you don't have to worry about sharpening them. You can swap a blade and over, especially like a big critter, like an elk, like definitely you're putting a lot of work through a blade. So it's easy to get a fresh one on, but to be honest with you, the main reason I stopped using them is just because they scared the crap out of me. Um, <laughs> Changing the blades. Things are, yeah. Like yeah. They're, they're legitimately so sharp. Um, and then when it comes to the change, you know, it's just, you know, when you get a critter down and like, so you start on an elk and you get to the point where you're going to change a blade and now your hands are bloody and slippery and you get a blade off and then making sure you dispose of that blade properly, get the new one on without cutting yourself. Like they, they legitimately just scared me, um, after using them a little bit. I can and, definitely hear that. You know, again, yeah, again, when you're like, six miles away from the truck and then the trucks who knows how many miles away from, you know, medical care. Like it's, it's just a concern. Um, especially since, uh, this is a whole nother rabbit trail story, but I was here in Missouri on a Turkey hunt and severely cut my finger in a Turkey blind. Um, as much as I hate to admit this, I didn't have fingernails at all. And I was trying to peel a cutie, one of those tiny little oranges. <laughs> <laughs> And I couldn't do it. And I, so I got my knife out and 
long story short, as I went to get my knife out, a turkey was coming in. And so I took my attention off of the knife and started focusing on this turkey. And as I drew the knife out of this little sheath, I had my hand in the wrong position and I literally drew the knife out out of the sheath and across my finger. So as I pulled the knife out of the sheath, uh, I just pulled the whole blade across my finger. I, I can, I can uh, feel that on my yeah, finger right I, now. I, I know. That sounds terrible. Yeah I, <laughs> yeah, I have a scar to this day and have like, I think I got 12 stitches just from that. So trying to open an orange. Um, so you can see I'm an idiot scared of knives in the back country. But, the, the more important um, question is, did you kill the turkey? <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good point my buddy missed it oh, um, i can't believe the hunt went on that's good Pr- proud of you guys on that one well right after that we had to go to the urgent care because i cut it so bad i had to get stitches oh wow um but anyway that's an aside anyway so the replaceable blades are nice the Havilon. um if you like a replaceable blade it actually there's one from a company called outdoor edge um their blades are a bit beefier they don't break or bend as easy and then replacing them is easier than a Havilon so if I was using a replaceable blade again I'd go with like an outdoor edge knife uh, but I've just gone back to using a fixed blade um, Benchmade has some really solid stuff that I've used on a bunch of animals um, I carry a little sharpener that I've had for I bet I've had it for 10 years at this point um, from a company called DMT and they make um they make all kinds of sharpeners, but they have this little, I think it's called a diafold or duofold, but it's like a um, diamond sharpener with like a fine um, and coarse side to it. And so if I need to touch up a knife, like working through a big animal, like an elk, then I can easily do that in the field. But with decent steel um, on like all the Benchmade knives that I've used, if you're remotely careful about not beating it up on bone, um, you can get through a, a big animal easily. Um, you know, I was in Alaska this past fall and used it on actually a few caribou, um, without really having to do much touch up work on it. So it's, it's somewhat personal preference there. I like something light, relatively small and maneuverable. Um, and then just with, you know, some steel that lasts, um, and you know, hard enough to retain an edge, but you know, you get into some of these super steels and they're then so hard that they're hard to sharpen. So there's definitely a balance there, but, um, yeah, long story short, if I was looking at a replaceable blade, I'd look at outdoor edge. Um, if you want a fixed blade, I would just say, like, if you're new to elk, you might think you need a giant blade and you really don't. I think the one I use most is like three inches, maybe three and a half inches, um, and can easily break down a whole elk with it. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a, gear junkie too so i I literally am writing all this down in my notes as you're talking about it because we currently i don't know what you use micah but i have havalon that's what i have and that's been the one little thing is when we were out i remember russell you know when he would change a blade out i think he actually used a tree to kind of get it you know popped in after that because you're right you have bloody hands slippery Mm -hmm. you know Uh, i could see where if you're not careful and those are you're right. Those are razor sharp. I mean, um, it's medical, medical like surgical type grade. Scary sharp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is good, but it's that changing out. That's that one thing that is the the. Uh, I mean, I my little trick. I I, I carry a pair of pliers, like, like a little utility knife. Yep. With me that you know got yeah. a little screwdriver and all that, and I actually use the pliers part to change my blades. So that way, I don't have even have He's to not touch touching the yet. blade. I don't have to. Yeah. And that's worked out pretty yeah. well for me so far. 
But yeah, I, I understand. Yep. So Nate's going to be looking at some fixed blades from Benchmade, which Russell's. A, I think Russell runs a lot well, that, of Benchmade yeah, stuff. Yeah, a lot of Russells are Benchmades, and, and he's always had. Good look luck into with this them. DMT sharpener. Maybe try something different next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you guys want to do uh, keep the replaceables, like I said, the Outdoor Edge. I think it's called like a Razor Light. Um, I, I've seen the one you're just, talking about. Yeah, and it, it does look like it'd be a little easier to use, a little more user friendly for sure. Yeah, it's more user friendly, and those blades are just as sharp, but they're just a bit beefier. Because um, like I've I've legitimately just snapped Havilon blades before, like trying to. Um, quarter an elk and work in the hip joint and snap the blade and literally I'm like okay now half of a razor sharp blade is buried <laughs> into an elk and I have to fish that out that's yeah. fun good luck with that one yeah. Um, yeah yeah which is you know like probably user error but still yeah well it's just one one thing that you're kind of trying to circumvent the the potential hazard you know so I get it but I was curious on that one. And then what about game bags? I'm curious what you use, because that, that would matter both places, especially if you're a couple miles back here in, in Missouri. Um, mm-hmm. What do you uh, what are you using for game bags? Yeah, I've used a bunch. Um, and I'm not, like, partial to anyone. I would just say in general something, uh, like, maybe when some guys hear game bags, they think of like the giant cotton tube, um, you know, or like old school guys would use, use pillowcases that can get the job done, but there's a lot of synthetic game bags on the market today, um, that you'll pay a little more up front, but they're reusable. So you can quite literally just bring yeah. them home and wash them and they're good to go again. Um, and those synthetic fibers typically are going to have a little bit of a tighter weave where it, it does have the airflow that you're looking for, but it keeps, um, you know, bugs and things of uh, uh, that nature out. The, one of the main things to look at with game bags is what, what animals are you hunting? Um, like say if you're just getting it to pack out white ears at home, you can get away with obviously much smaller bags than, uh, elk size bags. And then also, you know, one thing to be in mind is some game bags are designed more for boned out meat and then some are designed for bone in core. Right. So, and that's, it is kind of important to consider and you can get some that'll do both, but there's definitely advantages, right? Like, so let's say you're, um, you're going to do an elk and you want to bone it all out. You actually want to look for a game bag that's like a little bit more narrow and cylindrical because it's going to take that boned out meat and kind of like contain it and give it some shape, uh, which is really helpful when you're packing it out. Cause you don't have a ton of loose meat flopping around everywhere. Whereas if you want to then, bone out an elk and actually do a or sorry bone keep it bone in and do like quarter style if you have a bag that's narrow for boned out meat it's not going to fit around a quarter right so yeah um i would just look at number one get something synthetic that's reusable and then two just consider size and like i said you can get away with something universal uh but at least consider the size of the animals you're hunting and the size of uh you know what's needed for how you're going to do it. I've used game bags from, um, goodness, I just drew a blank. There's one called tag bags and they have a set, uh, called the bomb B O M B and actually stands for boned out meat bag. And so I've used those for, like I said, for boned out meats. Um, there's another company called 6am, uh, outdoors, which I've used bags from them, um, multiple times. Uh, there's a company called Graxaw. I mean, there's there's numerous yeah. out there, but I would just say something synthetic, uh, reusable, wash them, and they truly can, you know, 
last for a heck of a long time. Yeah, I think I bought mine from, uh, I think they're Black Ovis bags. Yeah, Black and Ovis makes one. Another there's really a, good one, too, is uh, there's a company actually in Idaho called Argali. Yeah, I was just getting ready to um, say, I just heard about them on a podcast the other day. Uh, yeah, sounds pretty yeah, cool. Brad runs Argali. I know him, and he makes a super solid um, game bag. Yeah, it makes a slick knife, too. Going back to talking about knives, he has a, okay, a knife from Argali that's super nice as well. Yeah, I, I just heard about them the other day, and I think he – man, I wish I could remember what shows I'm listening to when I try to talk about them later. <laughs> but um, it was – I think it might have been our the Gear Hunting Podcast here on, on the Sportsman's Nation Network. Oh, but, with Dan. Um, they were talking about his com- the Argali company and how, you know, it's it's the way they set them up for different animals and, and all that, that cool stuff and just the cool different features – you, you know, you would think a game bag is just a damn bag, but there's some different features that they can put into them that make them a little more user-friendly if you're going to be having to hang the meat, you know, overnight or something, right. you know, that sort of stuff. But Yeah, there's there's little stuff to consider. Like, if if you want to go to that level, that's really nice. I, w- I prefer to have a game bag, um, like you said, with a closure system that makes it easy to hang the meat, so some kind of, like, drawstring to it. Um, some of them are going to have reflective loops on it, um, so having some sort of reflectivity built into the game bag is nice. Um, if you're in situations where you leave meat overnight and you're trying to relocate it or come back to it, that's really nice. Um, some of those larger game bags, you can just dual purpose it. So you can use it as a stuff sack for something, obviously while it's clean before you kill an animal. Um, you can use it as like a food bag to hang in a tree. So there's all kinds of like little nuances to game bags for sure that can uh, be helpful. Yeah. Okay. So we just blacked out and went down a giant hole again. <laughs> well, got, that, was, that was my fault. But yeah. You got something you said, Michael? Well, they need to come up. Some of these big name uh, game bags, they need to come up with one that you can literally put an entire deer in, like bone in. <laughs> just everything. stuff well, the think about in it Because, you know... <laughs> You know, ideally, you'd like for your deer to hang for a few days. You know, usually if the temperatures are right and everything, it, you know, it, you would prefer them to hang. It just makes the meat a little better tender. But it'd be nice to put a bag over that whole thing and still get the breathability that we get from having a game bag. Call it the cocoon. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I just thought of something. Uh, nice. But, yeah, so anyway, yeah, we went down this hole, but... Um, what I was going to ask you before I started asking you about knives, which is, that's all my bad. Uh, I knew I was going to go down that is, so how have you transitioned your hunting experiences out West and brought them back home to, you know, obviously our shows about Missouri. What have you done to change your hunting here at home based on what you've experienced starting, uh, you know, going out West like you had? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it, in the end, it boils down to what I was talking about earlier, just like exploring um, an experience. I would rather have a hunt like that one I talked about with that buck where I try something new, go to a new spot, hunt in a different way. And, you know, in that one, it worked out. Like I said, it was just a small buck, but I loved it. Like it was a new experience and a new place and a new style of hunting for whitetail that a lot of guys don't experience or realize that they can do. And so for me, it's just that like it's Western hunting out West has changed my mind in terms of, uh, being able to access new places. Like I was saying before, like you take just the Mark Twain national forest alone and you're talking like a million and a half acres of public land. 
that's a that's a heck of a lot of land to explore. Yeah. You look at wilderness areas where, you know, capital W wilderness um, is federally designated to not have the presence of man, and that includes motorized vehicles, right? So you get into some portions of the Mark Twain National Forest, and you're going to compete with four-wheelers and side-by-sides and stuff. You could pack into a, a capital W wilderness area like the Paddy Creek or Bell Mountain or something like that. And to be honest with you, the, in a lot of those places, the game densities aren't super high. Um, but the experience is there, the adventure is there, the fun is there. Um, and so I've quite literally gone on, you know, backpack style deer hunts here in Missouri where I'm packing in a few miles to some place that I'm never seeing a soul. There's no other hunting pressure. Um, but I still have some chance to like fill a tag and then pack that animal out. And so it's just kind of that like more adventure style hunting, I'd call it a little bit where you're just you know, explore new places and, um, just really taking advantage of opportunities that a lot of guys overlook. But once you have the capabilities and realize you can do it, it's like a whole new world. And like I said, you're not competing with other hunters. So especially for guys who, you know, they don't have a lease, they don't have a family farm, they don't have public land or they don't have private uh, land to hunt. You know, so many guys, when they look at public land here in Missouri, they're just thinking conservation areas and things like that, which I love them. I, Missouri Department of Conservation, you know, I don't think any organization is perfect. I think they do a wonderful job um, in a lot of ways. And I'm thankful for conservation areas and things like that. But even beyond that, right, like there's so much public land to explore. Um, It's just a matter of guys realizing that they can do it and maybe what they need to be able to do it. And so that's what's really changed my perspective um, in terms of Western hunting experience and kind of bringing that style home. Um, I would admit that like part of me after chasing elk, just, I, I'm nothing wrong with sitting in a tree stand, but I struggle to do it more than I used to, um, after getting out West and chasing elk and covering ground and doing things like that. So part of it's like, I just want to be more active and mobile and see country versus popping my butt in a tree stand in a familiar spot and sitting there for hours. Are you, um, are you ground hunting? I still do it, but. Yeah, mostly ground hunting. Yeah, man, I'll, I'll tell you I'll what—that do... that's another person that I, I am ready. I have because of out west and because of the whole you know packing a tree stand in, or even a lot of guys are work, using saddles now. I really want to give that mobile hunting a shot back home. Um, just you—you you don't have anything holding you back at that point. Yeah. You know, you just but um, you just, just haven't yeah, yet. Part of that too. Part of what I like about it, and this is like super hit or miss, but, and again, I've blown it more than I've gotten it right. But part of that style of hunting, I feel like connects me to, um, call it like your hunter instinct, right? So, you know, if you're hunting a private farm and you got food plots and trails and preset tree stands and you're, you're running trail cameras, you know what deer are there, you've had a chance to scout them, you understand their movements, blah, 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 blah all that's great. I've absolutely nothing against it and continue to do it in certain ways, but you've done, you've done so much work up front and you have so much Intel that in a way it's a little more call it scientific, right? Like you don't know exactly how you're going to do, but you have a really good idea of how they use the ground and what would be a good spot when and blah, 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 blah. When you, you like, to a new spot in a new area and like, like 
from that one spot before I had pre-scouted it via Onyx maps and like just looked at terrain and cover and made a plan for, I thought, I didn't know what deer were in that country, but I thought if there's deer here, I think they're going to kind of move this way and use this country way based off of terrain and pressure and things like that. When you get in there for the first time, like you're much more reliant on your hunting instincts, right? So I, I can't tell you why hundred percent I sat in the place that I did, you know, on the ground and all that other than to say, I use some knowledge and some instinct to try and put myself in a good position. Um, and on that time it worked out and I've actually done that multiple times, even with like, um, packing into new spots and using a tree stand, I legit like partially look at the terrain and how I think deer might move and partially rely on my instincts of, I think this is a spot. I think this gives me a chance and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, but I like being connected to that, you know, kind of that instinct, if you will, of just following your gut in a way as a hunter. Yeah, kind of, I mean, everybody, here in the Midwest, we get so focused on putting in the work up front, like you said, and just having those one or two spots where we got our stands and we're not going to do anything. We're going to so sit these stands on these winds, on these days, and that's it. But if you go out west, you have to move around. You have to experience new things or else you're just not going to see stuff. You have to cover ground out there if you want to be able to find animals and if you brought in when you bring that back here you're going to do the same thing and you're going to experience a lot more than just sitting in your tree stand seeing those deer or whatever and getting out there and exploring i mean you're going to be a better hunter and you know it brings you back to actually hunting instead of just sitting and think about you're 100 right dude and mark you just you said it at the beginning too think about the freedom it would give you I mean, we spend, how much time do we spend, or you're going to be spending on your new properties this year, Micah, a lot. and I spend, I mean, we spend inordinate amount of time in the summer and spring working on food plots, mineral, cameras, checking them, um, I mean, just getting every little thing ready, trimming shooting lanes, you know, all this time, right? Just like you said. Or you could have that freedom to find new spots and you're just hunting. Yep. There's a lot to be said about that. And what's cool is the the state of Missouri gives you those opportunities. Exactly. The one thing right. I I, sure. I I love my parents, but the one thing I'm a little upset about is why they why I wasn't born and raised a little closer to that national forest. <laughs> you know, like a, like three and a half hours to get there for me. So it's like, oh man, it's, it's been a, nice that I grew up right in that area. But uh, there's, I mean, even where we live, there's there's conservation or public ground all over the place, I mean, for the most part, that you can find mm-hmm. um, that the, the people in the state of Missouri really have those opportunities to to experience the same stuff you're just talking about right now. I mean, you know, it's yeah. we all own it, and we all have the opportunity to, to, uh, get to out use there. it. Yeah, get out there and explore it. So. Yeah, and if you guys, like, you guys are up by KC, right? Yeah, yeah about, about an hour east. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, if you're up that way or even further north, like, if you haven't come to southern Missouri, whether it's hunting or not, but, like, take a family camping trip. Go down to, like, the Current River, the Ozark National River Scenic Way. There's so many different places, like, in southern Missouri and the Ozarks and the Mark Twain National Forest and all that. Like, if you just haven't been down there and seen that country, 
and don't know that that's in your state, I think you'll be pretty blown away. Just like I said, whether it's hunting or not, it's like go down there and explore and see because it's, it's totally different than what a lot of guys might expect or not even understand that's down there. Like we, um, probably maybe shouldn't submit this publicly, but like when stuff was completely locked down because of COVID and you technically weren't supposed to go places and camp, we did. (laughs) Um, and we were legit like on our own in the most gorgeous places, catching smallmouth on the river and relaxing and camping just unbelievably gorgeous places. Um, and if you've never been down there, you don't know what's in the state. You've never seen like some of the springs and stuff down there, like you're just missing out. So yeah, like I said, whether it's hunting or not, just go, there's so much to explore. Yeah. Well, and that's not even, you just hit on something I didn't even think about asking you is that's just hunting. I mean, this state offers so much fishing as well, fishing wise as well, different species. And I mean, there's so many opportunities here in the state. If you're not a hunter, if you're more of a fisherman, this is a place to be too. I mean, you can, yeah. you can get them all, but, um, For sure. yeah, I had a lady from work ask me, um, they were going to come camp in Missouri. Where should we take our, our trailer? And I said, I, I don't know, like pick a spot. It, it's all awesome. Yeah, you know, like I didn't know what to what tell you, her. What are you looking for? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're looking for, you know, just a little timber. You're looking to get in the mountains. I mean, we have a little bit of everything here. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, that's what I was hoping with this show with you, Mark, is, you know, you're a Missouri guy working for a Western company who also Western hunts, and, you know, how those Western experiences can come home to Missouri and those opportunities we have here. You know, that was what I was hoping to get across to the listener today, and um, maybe we didn't, but we still had fun, so that's all that really matters. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, I mean, it's like like you said, there's so much opportunity you can kind of only scratch the surface and even though i'm born and raised here like i'm still figuring out new places finding new things uh i mean it's just there's so much to do just get out and explore it like i said if that's hunting on your own if that's hunting with buddies if that's just getting the family out to go find new stuff like just get out and get after it because there's so much to explore in missouri um yeah and i like i said i'm i'm far from the expert there's so many guys that or a better hunters than me here in Missouri and even no more places. But, uh, if guys hear this and want to reach out, like you can just shoot me some Mark, um, at xomountaingear.com and I'd be at least happy to help if I can. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, like we really appreciate it. Um, listeners go check out the Humpback country podcast. Um, it's a pretty awesome show, especially if you're thinking about going out West. Um, that's kind of one thing what's we've well, talked that, about and, a little uh, bit. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, I like that when I, what do y'all call it? The death hike death or what's yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love those yeah, episodes. Yeah. When y'all get into the gear and what you, everybody's running and stuff like that. It's a lot, a lot of good information on y'all's podcast and everybody, even if you don't plan on going out West, it's still something good to listen to. So go check it out. Yeah, it broadens the horizons. Even if you're a, a guy or gal here in Missouri that will never go out West, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I yeah. mean, our state's cool. You don't need to leave. Yeah. But you can hunt elk here too now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> only five people right now. But, <laughs> but uh, hey, hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, even if you're not, it, it broadens your horizons. You know, it gives you different ideas and different things to think about. So it's, yeah. good, it's a good show. Um, and we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us, uh, us fellow Missourians and, um, kind of shooting the shit a little bit, I guess. Yep. 
Yes, you bet, man. It's always good to talk to the outdoors for sure. All right, that's the show today. Hope everybody enjoyed it. That's it, and that's all. That's it, and that's all. <laughs> it was a good show. Um, like I said, we we want to thank Mark with XO Mountain Gear coming on to us. Um, he's kind of in a cool situation. Lives born and raised in Missouri. Lives here and works for a, a really cool outdoor company. You, sh- you should really go check them out. Um, out in Idaho, you know that's yeah. kind of that's today's world, right? He he works here, but he's working with people, you know, half a world away. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, they do some awesome things over there, though. Yeah, they do. Like I said, I'm I uh, I'm partial because I do I do run their pack right now, and and I'm really happy with it. Um, but they they do some good things, so go check them out. Um, and hope you all enjoy the show. <laughs>